Welcome to Getting Comfortable, a UCCS student-led podcast dedicated to unpacking the relationship between Islam and the West, where no one is an expert. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kat. The intention of this podcast is to lead with curiosity and have a conversation that identifies concepts, analyzes content, and centers different learning approaches pertaining to the relationship between Islam and the West. Alrighty, Kat, we're doing it. This is our <laughs> first episode. Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? I'm feeling okay. I think we've got this. How are you feeling? I'm excited. Um, so we're starting this podcast with our class and which you all know that from our episode zero where we did introductions, but this is me and Kat's um, first time, first time recording on our own, yeah. on our own. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So before we get started, I do want to shout out the two groups that recorded before this episode on absolute categories and civilizations. So you've heard some information from Nick and Isaac and Matt and Sierra. So we hope that you enjoyed those. And what are we doing today? So Amanda, today we will be unpacking Europe with y'all. For this episode, we will be discussing JGA Pocock's What Do We Mean by Europe? and Mohammed Asafar's translated account of the city of Paris during his travels in 1845 and 1846. Okay, Kat, say J.G.A. Pocock three times fast. Mm, don't make me do that. <laughs> I'll do it once, once more. J.G.A. Pocock. Wow. It's a, it, it's, it a, so good. it's a, it's a tongue, tri- it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tongue trister. Yes. Yeah. I can't uh-huh. even. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's why you have that part to say, cause I think I would mess that up a million times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So we are going to tackle a few concepts that we learned from the readings. And if you want to read further, both of them will be cited in the description of today's episode in the, what we call the podcast episode notes. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's get into it and started. <laughs> so we're going to talk about initial thoughts just by the titles and the name of the module unpacking Europe. What were your first impressions of what we were about to read? Did you have any preconceived notions on Europe during the time period that we're talking about? Yes. So For me, looking at the titles of the text and the module itself, like you said, Unpacking Europe, I knew we would have some deconstructing to do regarding our perspectives on European history since it was taught to us through a very Eurocentric lens. I was interested in reading Asafar's account of Paris in the 1840s in particular because it is a primary source document from the point of view of a Moroccan scholar, you know, which is not something we have looked at thus far in this class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, from a decolonizing standpoint, I was very excited to get into this module um, because in my world, I am always Mm -hmm. interested in deconstructing history and the narratives of the colonizing and imperial powers at play. In fact, next semester, I have two classes that are going to be all about colonialism and post-colonialism. So very excited. Oh, nice. I can't Mm. wait to hear about that from you. (laughs) Oh, you will, because we will be in another history class together. It's going to be great. (laughs) All right. So before we get started with summarizing the readings, we're going to define colonialism versus imperialism. First, uh, as it was discussed in our class, we did kind of a popcorn exercise where everyone gave their impressions of what colonialism meant, what imperialism meant, what the difference of them was. 
So Kat, let's have you start us off with what we all popcorned and concluded in class. Yes. So like you said, this was a popcorn exercise where we wrote all the random stuff on the board. So it might not sound very cohesive, but it will all make sense in the end. But as a class, uh, we decided that colonialism is more boots on the ground, getting to the roots of it by separating from the metropole and enforcing the empire's narrative of or for the populace. And then we decided that imperialism was more of an expansion, exploring and extracting resources, political and economic control, feeding the metropole, and an ineptus for colonialism. It ended up being quite the discussion that day. So Amanda, what is the actual actual technical definition of colonialism and imperialism? Okay. Uh, According to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, Mm-hmm. Colonialism is domination of a people or area by a foreign state or nation. The practice of extending and maintaining, maintaining, not maintaining, but kind of, <laughs> a nation's political and economic control over another people or area. Mm-hmm. And then imperialism is the policy, practice, or advocacy of extending the power and dominion of a nation, especially by direct territorial acquisitions. Mm -hmm. or by gaining indirect control over the political or economic life of other areas. Okay. (sighs) Wow. So it's nice to hear uh, the textbook definition versus our conclusions we came to as a class, what was similar, what was different. Uh, Those two terms come up a lot in our discussions of Islam in the West and in other classes as well. So now that we've opened the topic of imperialism and colonialism, let's summarize together Pocock and Asafar's readings. Yes, we definitely talk about those two theories. They're not even theories, uh, aspects in our history. Concepts, I like that. (laughs) Yes. All right. So I'm going to take on Pocock's reading. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there we go with my ums, y'all. I'm going to work on that. I promise. We'll see at the last episode. We'll see, we'll see, you know, we'll we'll all grow as a team together. (laughs) Okay, so Pocock begins his writing with stating that he is speaking from a Eurosceptic lens, and he's sure to note that his view is not hostile, but doubtful of Europe's, Mm. quote, powerful supranation. Mm-hmm. supranational <laughs> I did that last time it's it's a hard one yeah uh-huh supranational organ I want to say supernatural so that's why you know it's a tough no. one okay okay so Europe supernatural no so uh okay let's start that over so he begins um with saying that this is a Eurosceptic lens and is sure to note that it's not hostile but doubtful of Europe's quote powerful supranational order bringing peace and prosperity to all member nations, end quote. He sets out to tell the reader of how the word, quote, Europe, end quote, has been used to name a continent and then a civilization. We'll talk about the quoting of Europe later. Yes. From this introduction, I can feel Pocock's desire to decolonize Europe's proposed greatness, superiority, and supposed bringing of peace. Mm-hmm. Honestly, uh, the way he wrote this intro, it made me pretty excited to keep reading. Oh, ditto. And the way he opened really catches your attention and lets you know just how much deconstructing he's going to do of these concepts, which is a lot. (laughs) 
a lot, a lot in very long sentences. Mm. <laughs> That's my favorite thing to talk about with this. Okay. One of my favorite aspects of this reading is how Pocock details the progression of the naming of the continents and mm. provides us with a 16th century definition of the word continent. He states that, quote, continent had come to denote a landmass of very great size, possessing a well-defined maritime perimeter and linked to other continents either by a single isthmus, there we go, mm -hmm. I said it, <laughs> as Africa is joined to Asia and the two Americas to one another, or not at all, as in the case of Australia and Antarctica, end quote. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's a long-winded way to define continent, but what he's essentially saying is that typically a continent is a continent because it has well-defined perimeter, a well-defined perimeter of water. Mm -hmm. He then goes on, and I tend to read uh, this next sentence with a little bit of snark, mm -hmm. as if he's saying it snarky, which is... Um, presentism. Uh, thank you. No? Yes, yeah. that's the word I'm giving, presentism. To or that. just a personal bias to just it. A yeah, just a little yeah. bit. Okay, so he reads it with a little snark, and he says that by this definition, it is European exceptionalism and its dominating nature that had the audacity to name this landmass as a continent when it does not fit the description. Yeah, I can't believe that Europe is still taught as one of seven continents when, like Pocock said in his reading, it's an extension or a peninsula of the Asian continent. In your opinion, Amanda, should Europe and Asia simply be referred to as the Eurasian continent since they're connected in such a massive way? Yeah, I, you know, I'm not sure. Um, maybe there could be different names for different regions instead of grouping them as a whole. Like we have Eastern Europe, Western Europe. I, I really, I really don't know. And I think it feels hard uh, because we do live in the 21st century and it's weird to think of different possibilities because Europe as a continent named as a continent is so ingrained in our minds and education. Um, so, you know, talk about yeah. knowledge production. <laughs> okay. One last aspect of the Pocock reading before we transition to Asafar. So I mentioned earlier, he quotes Europe. He puts quotation marks around Europe. And I love this, that he does that. Mm -hmm. it, how I interpret it is that he is almost mocking the term Europe. You know, the history of the history, we'll do quotes on that too. The history of Europe <laughs> is really the history of many ancient civilizations, conquests, monarchies, papacies. So to summarize this varied history into just the history of Europe, is to overlook all the various peoples that played a part in creating that region. You know, what do yeah. you think? I agree. I think there seems to be a massive oversimplification happening repeatedly, you know, over and over again, when we look at Europe from a Eurocentric point of view, rather than looking at it from several sources of varying accounts and how they incorporate into the mass of what we call Europe today. Like you said, um, Europe has such a long, long history, and just to know it under one name without acknowledging all the peoples and civilizations that went into it is, you know, it's a gross uh, understatement. It's erasure, really. You know, mm -hmm. we're, we're pretending or, you know, Europe's pretending that these 
these peoples didn't contribute to the rich history of yeah um you know the world (laughs) (laughs) yes so speaking of context and you know how important it is to look at different perspectives Mm. before we can analyze and reflect on asafar's text it's important for us to set up some essential framework um for the piece so Mohamed Asafar was a Moroccan scholar sent to Paris, France in 1845 by the, remain- the reigning Moroccan sultan to record his account of the city. This is important because in the 1840s, Paris was the absolute center of French imperial and colonial domains. Having a first-hand account from Asafar was essential to the Moroccan sultan and remains critical information for historians today. In, this is because in the 1830s, I don't know if you remember, Amanda, but we talked about in class, the French invaded and colonized Algeria, who's Morocco's neighbor, in yes. an extremely violent and bloody way. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yes. And Morocco, having never been colonized at that point, which is, you know, not something many uh, nearby nations or civilizations could say, um, they, so they had never been colonized. They really desperately craved information on the French because who knows, you know, they might be opponents of Moroccans in the coming days. Mm-hmm. So they needed to, Asafar was sent to sort of feel out the situation and send information back to Morocco. Mm, yeah. I mean, this is why we talked about and explored the definitions of imperialism and colonialism. So this all, yeah. this all tracks. Yeah, I'm glad we put that in the beginning to sort of preface this. Mm-hmm. And knowing the circumstantial reasoning behind Asafar's travel and account of Paris and why he was sent there in 1845 and 1846 makes his account that much more important to look at. Absolutely. And, you know, you and I have a different another history class where we read two translations of a mm-hmm. um, a Muslim enslaved man, uh, Omar, Omar, Sa- Omar Saeed. Yep. Mm-hmm. And his writings were in Arabic. So we are really relying on the translations mm-hmm. from these two different. I mean, one was a while prior and then one was a more recent translation the author of the book and you know there's so much that we're really trusting in these translators to know Mm -hmm. what they're saying and if they're representing it properly and I will say and you know we'll talk about this but I I feel like this translator for Asafar really conveys his his um his thoughts on Paris and perspective Yeah. yeah And, you know, that's also, that's how it seems to us. We can't read um, or write Moroccan Arabic. So there's no way. How do you know I can't? (laughs) Can you? I can't. can't. No, No. absolutely. So like you said, we're placing a lot of trust in the interpretation and representation and present and presentation. That was a lot of, that was a lot of similar words. A lot of T-I-O-Ns, you know, we got it. (laughs) And the, the presentation that the translator sets forth you know Mm -hmm. so and you know i happen to love this writing so i really hope that it's as accurate as it can be yeah you this is this is your jam right now this one (laughs) (laughs) okay so kat tell me what asafar says about paris and the french okay a lot he does say a lot about paris and the french (laughs) 
but he specifically focuses on the power dynamics between the working class, the emerging middle class, the elite within the city. He observes it being Paris, uh, quote unquote, as an enormous city, one of the greatest cities in those parts, just as Constantinople is for the Muslims to which it may be compared. And while Asafar finds the goods and services to be expensive because of the wealthy inhabitants and the high quality of merchandise, he definitely doesn't shy away from describing their less than hygienic practices. Tell and I, more. <laughs> I was surprised and pleased to see his his detail in accounting um, those practices of the Parisians. So mm-hmm. he describes this as the Parisians urinating at the base of walls and in alleyways, which is not disgraceful in their opinion. But he does counter this with at least they are diligent in cleaning the streets by sweeping them and sprinkling them with water. So like you said, you might read some of Pocock's words with a little bit of snark. I read this with a little bit of sarcasm, especially the part where he goes, it's not disgraceful in their opinion. And then um, the sprinkling them with water equals clean, which I don't I personally I don't think that's. A, a deep clean of the city or the walls or the streets not at all but that could just be my 21st century perspective who knows I mean, in the french's defense which i'm definitely never trying to defend um i'm pretty sure this is prior to germ theory so no well, one really maybe i don't know if we can google it real quick my little google scholar over. the moroccans were <laughs> they were practicing what they right. were supposed to exactly see and that's where i love that he wrote this and i love that we're talking about this aspect because we discuss this in class a lot too it's mm-hmm. it's poignant that he adds this comment um it's a very prevalent narrative then and still today that the region we know as the middle east that we call the middle east you know, from Western powers love to demonize and call them barbaric and call them all these, you know, uncivilized. uncivilized and, yeah. and, and Asafar is saying this couldn't be further from the truth. Y'all are peeing, you mm-hmm. know, at the base of your walls and you're thinking that you're cleaning it by just throwing some water on it and sweeping it away. So I, I love that he writes about this. I think what he's trying to convey is, you know, the hypocrisy. You're trying to dominate these countries in this region, you know, our neighbor. And they are. And right. And and this is what you're doing, you know. Um Mm -hmm. I think it's super yeah. I think it's great that he he adds that in. I think it's really important for the reader to hear him acknowledge that, right? Yeah. In in 1845, like we don't the sources that are presented to us in, you know, K through 12 education and all this stuff don't show this side of it. And I know that sounds like something you and I say a lot, but it's because it's true. It's true. It It is. And, you know, like you said, it's him displaying the hypocrisy, you know, with all of their wealth and their power and their dominion. Mm-hmm. They still don't clean themselves. Right. And they, st- you know, they still urinate everywhere so right i mean we can we still see that in 2023 (laughs) men men you know they don't because they can pee wherever they want apparently they just feel like it's okay um 
Well, you know. but thank you. Expect? We do have some, we do have some laws, I guess, that make them get in trouble if they're caught. But like whatever. Public indecency. Yeah. Right. So, but. Um, yeah, I'm, you know, my thematic paper for a different class, my main theme is talking about these manufactured myths. And I'm mm. particularly talking about America, but it this goes worldwide, specifically, especially with these Western imperialists. Mm-hmm. They create these manufacture, manufactured myths so that we can have this preconceived notion of what a region that we're not familiar with is like. And to me, that's what the whole point of Islam in the West, this course is about is, is unpacking that it's unpacking the, the, the knowledge, the knowledge production of what we were taught and Mm -hmm. seeing it from a different lens. So I love it. And I love, I love this piece from Asafar too. Uh, Okay. So doesn't he talk about the zoo as well? Tell me about it. So to get back on track, (laughs) um, a little detour, it's fine. Yeah, but it's uh, it's all connected. You know this. Mm-hmm. So speaking to the wealth and power displayed in Paris, Asafar notes that the zoo animals, which are brought from all over the world, are exhibited for the residents. Uh, the plants, too, w- that are found there were highly symbolic, especially the date palm, the banana, coffee, and, quote unquote, a fruit called the pineapple, which they get from the land of America, mm-hmm. serving to demonstrate their absolute reach and access to the world's resources. From this reading, it seems as though Asafar's emphasis on the French zoo, the opera, Mm -hmm. the ballet are all about participating and belonging. Yes. So by attending these places and events, it separates the working class who they don't have that kind of leisure time to go to these. The working poor. Yeah. They're working from the emerging middle class and bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. And they obviously have the money and the leisure time to be engaging in these frivolous activities. So mm-hmm. I think it's, again, another great point of Asafar to bring up this, you know, these aspects of walking through a zoo and this leisure time. Yes. All right. So those readings are full of a ton of content. Mm-hmm. Kat, tell me about your learning process as you went through these readings. So we'll start with Pocox. What, you know, what came up for you? How did you take in this content? Uh, It definitely took a read or two just because I like to really, first, I like to just look at the surface, the words, and then I like to go a little bit deeper and analyze it myself. So for me, both, both of these readings were super engaging and helped me dissect and unpack Europe as a concept. Pocock especially provided a historical foundation of how the word Europe has been used over time as a continent and civilization or group of civilizations. I especially focused in on his stance at the end, where, again, as a modern Euroskeptic, sorry, a moderate Euroskeptic, he calls Europe a set of arrangements designed to ensure that they won't again define themselves as states and will surrender the power to make war as well as control of the market forces. Mm. Now, to me, the organization of Europe as a group of civilizations pretty firmly linked together is a way to perpetuate their imperialism and imperialistic legacy as well as their Eurocentric history. Now, Amanda, what was your reaction and learning process to these readings? And what do you think specifically about Pocock's closing statement? Okay. I love the imperialistic legacies. That was great. (laughs) 
Love it. Uh, so I feel his closing statement says a lot about Western European powers attempting to protect mm-hmm. the capitalist, you know, and imperialist ideologies that are mm-hmm. the dominating narrative. So my take on Pocock, as I stated earlier, and like you've already said, he really wanted to provide the historical context on how the domination of Europe as a continent and civilization came to be known as the great power, great power quotes, as it is today. Mm -hmm. And my learning process for Pocock's writing definitely involved me taking a couple times to read so that I could fully digest uh, his words, like we said, they're mm-hmm. pretty long-winded sentences. I'm pretty sure that there's like 20 lines for one sentence. I'm like, wow. Don't. I but mean, they're so full of they're so full, full of good no, content. it's full of amazingness and it's not fluff. Yeah. No, it's not fluff at all. Okay. So what were your thoughts on Asafar? I think you already know that I I'm a little partial to this piece. Mm -hmm. I love Asafar's text and his account of Paris in 1845 gave me further context and reaffirmed some previous ideas that I had, especially about France exercising its absolute authority over its dominion in a variety of ways, so many ways, all while enjoying the fruits of other people's labor and being arguably very unhygienic at the same time. Yeah, it felt it felt as though he was looking around and saying, "Really? This yeah, is, you could. This yeah. is it. This is this is the dominating power that's trying to rule over other countries." Mm-hmm. And it was so it was so well so well written. It really was like you were standing there with him, or that he was writing directly to you. You know, mm-hmm. so you Absolutely. could experience it with him. Which, I mean, makes sense since he's writing it to the sultan, right? He's Mm -hmm. really trying to portray what he's seeing. Um, You know, he's he's like, these people are kind of smelly. They're they're using, (laughs) uh, you know, cultural artifacts from other countries and native animals to essentially... I want to say peacock, but it's close to pocock. But, you know, (laughs) showcase their superiority over, over... these countries that they're attempt- they're they're colonizing or attempting to colonize, mm-hmm. but they're also acting like fools. So that's definitely how I took his observations. Uh, you know, he's he's shouting out the hypocrisy, and we could definitely go into a whole lot of this other discussion on how the people colonizing another region tend to use the framework of uncivilized and savage. Mm-hmm and then act completely uncivilized and savage themselves. So yeah. but we'll, we'll save that for another podcast. <laughs> okay. Yes. Kat, before we close up, do you want to talk about the Padlet writings before we, before we end this? Sure. So just a quick little reminder. Um, even though Amanda and I are specifically talking about these two readings in our separate episode right here, the entire class is engaging with every single one of these readings in, in this episode, previous and future episodes on this, this little thing called Padlet, which is a nice little online discussion forum. Um, so there was just a quick little reminder about what a Padlet actually is, in case you didn't hear that in episode zero. Mm-hmm. But on the Padlet for, for this topic, Unpacking Europe, uh, the rest of the class came to similar conclusions too. We all came to a consensus and agreed that Pocock and Asafar's texts provide us with more insight 
on what it really means to deconstruct the idea of Europe throughout history. Pocock, being the more re recent work, uh, works to unravel the image that has been repeatedly presented year after year, again and again, especially um, in the years following World War II. Mm -hmm. And then Asafar's 1845 account is invaluable as it's a primary source from a non-European point of view. Mm -hmm. uh, what are your final thoughts, Amanda? Yeah, all in all, I thought these readings were valuable in understanding Europe and the way they viewed regions and civilizations mm. outside of their dominating sphere. Um, mm -hmm. I think that they absolutely helped with, <laughs> with allowing that. We have a new kitty and he likes to scratch my chair. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I totally agree. All right. So stay tuned for the next two episodes. It's going to be another two-parter from the same two groups that came before us, Matt and Sierra, Nick and mm -hmm. Isaac. They're going to be discussing uh, the module on theorizing the West. Yes. These are big concepts. So that's why we are doing two, two parts for the absolute categories and then for mm -hmm. theorizing the West. Yes. All right, Kat, we did it. I think this, I think this was great. Yeah, I think so too. I think we did a great job. This was our first episode. Uh, just to reiterate what we said in the beginning, we are not experts. Absolutely so, not. Um, but we've had a lot of fun engaging with these readings and, you know, laying it all out for y'all and discussing it with each other. So I really like talking it. with you, Kat. I like talking with you too, Amanda. But this is the end of this episode. So thank you again for listening to Getting Comfortable with Amanda and Kat. We will see you in our next episode in the future. Absolutely. But for now, this is goodbye. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye.